pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. 水煮肉片. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My guest today is a cook, food writer, cookbook author, and video personality. Raised on the West Coast, among other places, he internship at Chess Panisse, where he became an onion prep master. In 2022, he wrote The Cook You Want to Be, a New York Times bestseller. Previously, he also worked at Bon Appetit and Tasting Table. Andy Baragani, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So let's get out of the way right away, because I was very jealous looking at your pictures. How was Japan? Uh, <laughs> uh, Japan was... Horrible, uh, right? Just you never uh, want to go back. It was by far one of the more inspiring, if not the most inspiring place uh, I've been to. I mean, uh, it had been closed for, um, I think, over three years due to the pandemic, and it, it reopened um uh, to outside visitors uh, starting in October. And pretty much once I found that out, I, I booked my ticket and my partner and I went there in December and I loved it so much, I ended up extending my trip an additional week. So I was very happy. Now talking about other country and that this one is more important. Have you ever been to Portugal? You know, I haven't. I, I really am. Uh, there were many points where I feel like I was supposed to go to Portugal, but it never happened. But I feel like it is, it will likely be a place that I end up going to in the next year or two. Growing up, who was the best cook in your family? You know, there were so, there. I come from a family of a, a lot of strong cooks. Uh, and, but I would say they all kind of specialize, not that I'm even diplomatic. I feel like my family knows I'm very, I'm very honest and blunt with like what, who I think is, who can cook well, but they, they all have their own kind of specialties. I'd say, you know, my mother came from the North of Iran uh, and her family, they were very creative cooks. I like to say um, they knew they had a great deal of knowledge beyond the kind of fundamentals and the foundational dishes or the very popular dishes um, uh, of Iranian cuisine. And so a lot of the kind of stews and rice dishes that my mother and her family prepared weren't ones that you would always see in, in, in most Iranian households. And on my father's side, I would say that um, while they were, they were good cooks, they were very good when it came to the world of preserving. The Iranian preserves sp specifically pickles and jams, that's a practice my dad still does. I just went back home uh, two weeks ago and my dad had, I don't even know how many jars, like new batch jars of pickles. And uh, so it's very much in, in in their DNA. That's 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 my dad's side. Do you remember a dish like it was very, very good? And you have you tried to recreate that dish? Well, I think a lot of the dishes that I grew up with, I've either learned to cook or that I've kind of um, reinterpreted. I mean, I always go back to... Um, whenever I go back home, I always kind of request certain dishes that I never end up really making. Oh, there's a menu request when Andy's in town. Yeah, oh, I wouldn't say it's a menu request. <laughs> well, it's usually just one dish. Um, but it's a dish called obgusht, which doesn't have a great translation to it. Ob means water and gush means meat. So it's like meat broth or meat water. Um, but it's a... 
dish that everything happens in one pot, but then there's many, many different elements to it once you um, serve it. And it's a dish made with lamb shanks, potatoes, chickpeas, uh, a little bit of uh, tomato paste, um, dried limes, limon manu, we say, and then uh, turmeric, uh, sometimes some saffron and water. And you cook it very, very slowly and gently until the meat is quite tender and the potatoes and chickpeas are creamy. And then you strain that liquid and you end up with this kind of wonderful, fatty, sour, spice broth. And then you have all the kind of solids that you mash up to a paste. And then you serve it uh, with the broth um, that is kind of topped with this very, very crunchy flatbread uh, and then the meat paste and then a platter of raw herbs and radishes, pickled garlic uh, and um, some dual with this carbonated yogurt drink. But all the kind of uh, things combined, it, it creates a really beautiful uh, meal. That sounds good. Uh, because of your background, you talked a little bit. Do you think even today that still influences the way you cook? Uh, I, I would say that it's the food that I grew up with has definitely had an influence on a lot of my food. But I wouldn't say it's the only influence. I think being first generation American, I pull... Uh, influences from so many different parts uh, of my life, uh, my time in restaurants and my my time traveling ab abroad by myself and, and, and my travels that still continue. But Iranian food obviously were the first kind of flavors, those sour herby flavors was, were the kind of first flavors I was ever introduced to. So it certainly has kind of uh, been integrated in my in my um, in my food for sure. A few years ago, when Andy was a teenager, you used to be hired by your neighbors to do a little bit of a menu, some cooking. How was that? Was that like your introduction to, you know, actually getting the food world? And do you even remember the menus? It's not that many years ago, but, you know, still. Oh, I, I think I think probably 17 years is probably many years. There you go. <laughs> um, I um I do I remember that time really well. I was uh, in like middle school, high school, and it very much was kind of my first experience before I ended up working at a restaurant when I was um, 16. And it was great because the community it felt like they were taking a you know a chance on me and and word of mouth kind of spread. It actually was very sweet when I was doing my book tour. Um, This past summer and fall, I went to California quite a few times and I went back to the Bay Area and a good amount of actually the family members that I cooked for when I was younger actually came to hear me talk or, or sign. And it was very, very sweet. And it felt like a very much a full circle moment. But I remember uh, those kind of the menus and dishes that I cooked back then were so Uh, kind of almost this, it tells you of, of my upbringing in that time. It was very kind of California cuisine, specifically to, to Berkeley. It was like a lot of little gem lettuces and, and chicken kung fu with like a, a green olive sauce and um, a lot of fruit-based desserts, certain kind of flatbreads and pizzas with no red sauce, but rather like um a lot of greens and cheese so it was a, a it was a, a sauceless pizza mm -hmm. uh, it was um 
but it was a it was a great time for a lot of experimenting and and just playing around which obviously it's I, well I still play I think it's now it's much more uh it's it's my livelihood it's my it's my life you do you already spoke about your first experience uh you got a shout out not that you need a shout out but by Alice Waters I I talked with her last week and I told her you were going to be here because you did a book event last year there in the summer. Yes. Uh, yes. So she said, tell him I said hi. So there you go. That's my that's my from from Alice. And she's she's lovely. How how was that? What do you remember when you walk in there? Um, I know you became an onion prep master. I don't think I was lying about that. Right. Peeling onions and doing all of that. Well, that was my very first task, and yeah. it was a task that I I was doing for many, many, many days, weeks, months. That was the first thing I did every morning at like seven in the morning, six forty-five in the morning. So I, I like to think that I have a very clear uh, sense and approach to how to prep onions, which <laughs> might sound like a simple task, but uh, you'd be surprised how many people do it. In. In their own unique, at sometimes, let's say, incorrect way. Wasteful. We don't ever want to be wasteful. True. So the 16-year-old Andy walks into the restaurant and says, you know what? I want to work here. Yes. You know, I, I have to say, like, I think about that. I think about that a lot. Just the kind of gutsiness. And I think while I person is still very much a part of me uh, at this moment in time, 33-year-old Andy still feels you know very curious and open and and wanted to do lots of things i think i look back at just how i how i went about it and trying to work at japanese when i was 16 of just there was nothing to lose you know when you're that young there's nothing to lose there's very little risk involved and um i think i genuinely had uh, cooked as much as I can in my in my parents' home and other people's home. And I had this desperate, deep, uncontrollable desire for for knowledge and for flavor and for a deeper understanding uh, when it came to to food and cooking. And my time there was really a kind of awakening of the senses. And Alice, you know she 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 tends to say that it's it's when she had her, She had her first trip to France, and and for me, my my time at Chez was awakening of the senses. It 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 taught me so many things, both in and out of the kitchen, and it really provided this kind of I, my my family instilled this deep love for food. But I like to say that Chez provided me with this foundation when it came to food and cooking. It might be a weird question. Do you think we in U.S. worship food too much, or we talk about food too much, or no? Do you think in uh, Europe it's a more natural? This is why I'm asking you because I think you're the right person to ask. You can always say like I'm done my answer. I was talking with Christopher Kimball from American Stats Kitchen, and I remember him saying that. And I keep thinking about since two weeks ago. He said that in Europe it's just such a natural thing that people don't talk as much. And when you come to the US, do you think we talk too much? I don't have, to be honest, I don't have a an opinion. Opinion, but I'm asking you. You don't have to have an opinion, but no, I, I certainly have opinions. Um, but I think <laughs> it's 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 it is true that I think. Well, I'll say this: I don't know if we talk too much about food. I think it's more that there is a, a more there's a very clear acceptance and understanding that good food should be a part of everyday life. 
and cooking should be a part of everyday life. That is something that I think generally is accepted in most places that I've traveled to uh, and been to uh, and people that I've met out, uh, outside of the U.S. than, let's say, um, than, than the way we kind of approach food and cooking in the U.S. That is kind of the bigger thing. I don't know if we necessarily talk about food too much and if we do we might not be talking about it in the in 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 the right way like i yeah. think we should be talking about food injustices and and food systems and how we can better improve that and and food deserts there's many things that we should be talking more about mm-hmm. um i think uh, when it comes to like food trends or food fads maybe we can talk less about <laughs> What was it was a very personal book, and I've heard you said before that you knew that your first book would be the most personal one, probably. How what was the idea behind the book? And yeah, in general, just talk a little about it. It came out last year, but still. I was approached to write a book uh for a couple of years by by different editors and publishers, and and I and I always and I was well as flattered as it was, I didn't feel ready to write a book. And I do think uh we've been in a kind of cookbook renaissance of sorts uh, for quite some time now. Uh, my book aside, I think their cookbooks have become much more personal. They have focused uh, more on regional cuisines, which this, these are all really great things to see. I think if I, I knew that if I was going to write a cookbook, it wasn't going to be an Iranian cookbook or a vegetable cookbook, not to say that I won't ever do to write those books I'm, I'm I I would be happy to in the future but I knew that my life as a cook revolves around a few different kind of elements and spaces that have really uh, shaped the way I am as a cook I have spoken and, and written about being first generation Iranian American um, and that combined with my time in restaurants working in California New York and Paris uh, along with um working in food media and test kitchens and traveling as well. These are kind of four spaces that really had a huge impact the way I approach uh, my life in the kitchen. And so I thought, why don't I write a book that, well, yes, it is a cookbook and yes, it has plenty of recipes. I wanted to kind of write about the lessons that I've learned thus far as a cook and how I can provide those lessons uh, to the home cook and really empower them so that, well, yes, I want them to love my recipes and and have it be a part of the repertoire. I also want them to really have a better understanding of maybe a specific ingredient or technique or the cultural context of a dish. And so that hopefully they'll kind of use that, imply that uh, in their own kitchen to kind of become the cook they want to be. You talked about being hunger for knowledge when you were younger, and you still do, but when you were hungry, especially when you were younger, do you think because there's a lot of outlets nowadays, right? My time and your time, I'm 35. So, um, it was a little different. It was a little more straightforward how you learn. You go, you knock at someone's door and be like, hey, can I learn? Nowadays with video, with social media and everything, there's more outlets out there. Do you think it's people are still, people that you talk with, do you still believe there's that hunger to know more? Or do you think there's so much accessibility everywhere that you become a little more less affair about it? Oh, that's a great question. I Thank do. Think... I have one perk podcast. This is the one. That's it. <laughs> After this, downhill from here. That's okay. Um, I think 
I think there is so much uh, more information now than when when I was growing up. Um, and it's definitely easier to access that information. Uh, and there's so many different kind of platforms to learn from video and, and all different, so many different outlets. I do think, though, however, because of all this excess amount of information and ways to kind of uh, access them and learn, it almost can prevent people from absorbing that uh, that knowledge then let's say committing a certain amount of hours or time it was much more pared down growing up and i i don't necessarily think that was a bad thing i think it 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 forced one to to focus and have a maybe better clarity into what they like and what they don't like and i think while it's amazing there's so many positives with uh, how things are right now, I do think uh, it can be information overload and uh, can confuse people a little bit. That is, that, that's my thoughts. <laughs> I like that pause, the dramatic pause. That's that's your thought. Okay. What aspects of food culture would you like Americans to adopt in the reverse American food culture you wish was adapted somewhere else? Oh, I wish there was a better approach to... Um, school lunches in the public school system. That's something that I definitely feel strongly about. I obviously, I know Alice and the work she's been doing for so long with the Edible School Year Foundation. It's it's their obviously mission. I think uh, I think that is something that we don't necessarily think of as much of just how we should be feeding the youth of this nation. And that's something that I I think that we should be thinking a lot more about and how we can kind of adopt. And there's many many countries around the world who 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 approach that in a in a much more thoughtful manner and there are many kind of la- layering problems with that that are much more complicated for us to even touch on or break down and the next part you said the reverse this is something that i feel uh, i'm not saying that it's necessarily um true but i i i feel this i think uh, I wish we are evolving, I would say, but still at a slower rate. I think there is a deep love and fascination with in, in the U.S. when it comes to a lot of certain cuisines around the world, a, a lot of which, you know, c- come from from Europe. And I think while a lot of these said cuisines I love, I think it, I would love for us to have a deeper appreciation and see more restaurants that uh, around the country that are showcasing cuisines from um, from Africa, from the Middle East, from different parts of Asia. Like these are things that uh, I really would love to kind of experience and see more. And I think it only will kind of uh, benefit us uh, as a community of having a better understanding of that said culture's food and and culture itself. I think that's something that is happening slowly. I see it in New York uh, that, you know, we're not just seeing Thai cuisine, for example. We're seeing regional Thai cuisine here from the north. From We're seeing Lana cuisine. We're seeing Isan cuisine. We're seeing this different... Uh, 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 food from different provinces of China now. Like I, I want more of that. I just hope we keep continue that direction. Rapid fire questions. What was your first memory of taste? Oh, 
Dramatic pause. I like it. Dramatic pause. Yeah. Uh, I would say if I if I had to guess, it probably would be kufte, um, a type of uh, or kufte. There's many variations around the world, but I grew up with one that is the size of like a tennis ball, a meatball made with um, a lot of fresh herbs and and turmeric and um, stuffed with a sour plum and then slowly cooked in a kind of sour plum and tomato sauce. And uh, I just remember eating that with my hands a lot. Most underrated ingredient for you? Oof. Um, underrated ingredient. I have so many. I think... Oh, um, <laughs> onion powder, fresh bay leaves, uh, onion powder, fresh bay leaves are the first two black peppercorns. I'd say those are the three. I think people use black pepper a lot, but I don't think they use it necessarily correctly. I think obviously it should always be freshly ground, but I don't want people to just like top it, uh, top their foods with pepper, but I think they should, you know, learn to kind of sizzle it in butter before cracking a few eggs when they're doing a cacio pepe eggs i think they should just play with the different textures um but yeah onion powder fresh bay leaves uh black pepper those those are my three at that let's go to the other spectrum overrated overrated oh god <laughs> he was like where do i start yeah i know um overrated i don't really like to think of anything that's overrated um but i'm sure there's so many <laughs> your friend molly bus when she was here she said never put food on a salad she was very outraged by that um well <laughs> actually i'm gonna add one more thing that's underrated which is uh, uh 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 canned chickpeas like i love cooking chickpeas slowly but canned chickpeas are really a game changer uh, marinating them or crisping them up in oil smashing them up um, they're just always are great when I need a little bit of sustenance. Um, I don't fully agree. I love Molly. I'm seeing her tomorrow. <laughs> I don't agree that fruit shouldn't be in a salad because I think I've had an amazing, I have a salad in my book that is uh, a torn burrata with sliced persimmons, which is a fruit, uh, and a chopped lemon dressing, or, uh, I love, a kind of salty cheese with plums and black pepper and it ends up being this uh with a little bit of kind of uh torn mint i like that those are things that are very very satisfying i think i would say i won't i don't love fruit in a leafy salad generally that's gotcha. something that mm -hmm. if, 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 if that is the case then i agree with her overrated overrated a really expensive olive oil like there's plenty of good olive oil that I, I i'm not that i'm not i don't spend a ton of money on and as a side note now i remember i remember because her one of her trend trademark is her caesar salads um recipe molly and she did say i think that was it i asked her like how can you root a caesar salad she said if you put fruit on it i think that was the conversation oh yes that is yeah. true I mean, yeah I, I very much agree in that regard. this one might be a tricky one what is a french food combination you do this happens a lot in the sweet and salty worlds that some people look at you and be like, Andy, don't do that. It can be on a sandwich, can be on something. Well, I definitely like salt in a lot of my desserts. I definitely have a thing of like with salted fruit, salted like lemon bars, salt on my like anything like that's a chocolate dessert. Uh, but I generally want if like my fatty, th my savory things are savory and my sweet things are sweet partially sweet a little bit salty. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. like I, I don't i don't i don't think i i get too tricky i think um 
I think where, and I don't think this is odd at all. I think what people uh, have, who have been following my recipes for a while or who are, uh, who bought my book, I think they're, they know that I use a lot of, my food is very vegetable heavy while I use a lot of seafood and meat. It's still very vegetable heavy and it's high, uh, it's high acid. I use a lot of citrus and vinegars and other ingredients that bring acidity and that, uh, I use a lot of herbs and I don't necessarily have to use a lot of spices, but when I am using spices, I make sure that it's, it's, it's present and that it's, you know, it's there. Uh, and I love heat both in fresh and dry. So the, that's, 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 I guess, like my flavor profile. The best midnight snack for you. Um, oh, I don't know if it's the best midnight snack, but my favorite snack is chips and salsa. Like I just have a thing for tortilla chips and salsa. It's very hard for me to turn it down. Um, but midnight snack, if I don't have anything, I'm probably doing uh, popcorn or I probably will have uh, recently I've been doing a lot of uh, fly by Jing dumplings, frozen dumplings. One meal you can have for the rest of your life. Buttered, steamed Japanese short grain rice. The name of the podcast is Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. Those are two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience. And breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded expectations. Do you think you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? <laughs> I like to think that at in the in the most humble way, I do think I, I've had a lot of experience. And I am I think much of that is because of the people who took a lot of chances on me from my time at Japanese to every other restaurant that I worked at to my time in media. I think um I had a lot of, I've had a lot of varied experiences with the, in the food space, working on the line to editing a magazine website, to being on video, to writing a book, um, to doing live events. Uh, I think, I hope I have exceeded expectations, but uh, I will say that I have yet to exceed my expectations because for me, it's never... A certain point it's always kind of evolving and moving and it's not necessarily always having to move in a linear fashion but just kind of continuing to move and evolve and um and again going back to what i was saying earlier absorb as much knowledge as possible so i hope to just continue my my travels in the food space and gather more experience and exceeds any other people's expectations they have on me. <laughs> Not that it necessarily matters for me if I set <laughs> other people's expectations, I should say. But At the end of the podcast, I tell my guests to sell their fish. In Portugal, if someone to tell us to sell your fish, that means to talk about yourself. Obviously, people know you, but you know what can you reveal for the future if you can reveal something You know where people can find you? Just sell your fish for a little bit, Andy. Um, I would say at this moment, uh, I'm taking a little bit of calm after a uh, book promo uh, craziness. Um, I do plan on writing another book in the future. And with uh, the year 2023 now that we're in, I will be launching um, a few things. Um, uh, one being a kind of uh, place where I can you can get more of my recipes, my thoughts on travel and guides and products uh, in the near future. And that is what I could say at this moment. <laughs> but before we go, I always ask this, what's for dinner? Today's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's. Happy Valentine's. What's for dinner? Not because it's Valentine's Day or if it matters. 
It, it, it certainly doesn't matter. I mean, uh, uh, happy Valentine's Day to, to <laughs> celebrate. Yeah. Um, but uh, I will likely be making uh, some kind of probably pasta only because I know that my partner just he's he's an easy one. He just wants pasta most of the time. Um, I would love steak but he doesn't eat red meat so i will have that another day on my own uh so i will be making um probably a salad and some some pasta for him thank you for coming thank you so much and all the best for you thank you did you like the interview me too thank you very much andy for coming on the podcast he's a natural speaker please everyone go buy his book keep buying it and the next books to come you can reach me on my instagram at david g martin's chef that's d-a-v-i-d-e-g-m-a-r-t-i-n-s chef you can also send me an email if you have any suggestions any complaints you never know to info at david with the e g martins.com make sure you're safe make sure you're happy i'll be back in a couple of weeks Adiós.